Uh, we're in a sermon series right now at West Bowles called Remarkable. Three and a half years, it changed everything. Uh, in this series, we are walking through the Gospel of Mark together. Uh, one of the four books that describes the life and teachings of, of Jesus. And our hope is, and our prayer has been, that God would reveal to us, or maybe remind many of us, just how remarkable Jesus is. That God would show to us how amazing that man is and what he did and how that changes everything. Not just back then, but right now. That's our hope and our prayer. So let me actually pray right now for us as we dive into uh, week three of the series. God, would you speak to us now? We believe your word is truth and life, that it's alive. And so would it do what only it can do in the next few moments. Make it so in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I love a good obstacle course. Uh, from the Tough Mudder race to shows like American Ninja Warrior to the random courses that my kids and I set up out at the playground or even in the living room at times. Uh, we love to try to get over certain obstacles or under certain things, uh, through certain hurdles, and we love to watch others do that very same thing. Uh, and we are pretty addicted to American Ninja Warrior. I, I might uh, confess that now to you. And every time somebody finishes the course, we cheer so loud as a family because we know just how hard that is. But I have to admit, I also confess, we kind of like seeing them tumble into the water uh, too. Kind of like this. Here's a little highlight reel of some of the, the fails on American Ninja Warrior. Watch this. super slow motion replays, right? Especially the poor guy that, anyway, I'm not going to say it. But going through an obstacle course, and that's all fine and good when it's all for fun. But going through an obstacle course is a totally different story when it comes to faith. That's no fun at all. See, if we're honest, sometimes it feels like God is way over there on the end of some crazy religious obstacle course. And to get to him, you got to go over a warped wall and a bridge of blades, a salmon ladder, and a trapeze swing. I'm not speaking in tongues right now. Those are all elements on American Ninja Warrior, okay? But think about it. Sin, Satan, demeaning people, demanding situations, pain, suffering, and loss hypocritical church folk, drama-filled families, different world views, all of that makes it so hard sometimes, doesn't it, to get to God. Our hurts become hurdles, our baggage becomes barriers, and all the things that have been done to us make it a lot harder for us, harder to know God, harder to see God, harder to develop a relationship with God. 
And if you ever felt that way, well, you're not alone. Uh, I think a group of guys in Mark chapter 2 know this feeling pretty well. If you have a Bible, open it to Mark chapter 2. If not, I'll be reading it for you on the screen. Mark 2, 1 through 4 says this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Let's try to imagine the scene here in Mark chapter 2. People are flocking to Jesus in this moment. He has spoken about God in a way the world has never heard before. He has healed people of demon possession and evil spirits. And he's even cured diseases that nobody thought were, were curable. So people are flocking to him. They want to see him for themselves. And so these huge crowds are now following Jesus everywhere he goes. That's one of the reasons why on several occasions, you'll read in the book of Mark, he tells people after the, a miracle, he says, keep this quiet. Just keep this between us. Because he knew the crowds were going to go crazy. It was going to make it hard for him to do what he came to do. That's exactly what's happening in this moment. It reminds me of the trip that Cristiano, Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo Say that five times fast. Uh, the trip he recently took to Shanghai. Everybody know who this guy is right here? He's probably the most famous, most talented soccer player in all of the world. And recently he just took a trip to China and hundreds of thousands of people followed him everywhere he went. All because he can play a sport better than most. And it doesn't hurt that he looks like a Greek god while doing it, Right? <laughs> But that's what's happening now with, with Jesus. I mean, can you imagine the crowds that must have been flocking around him? He had this unique authority, unparalleled authority, authority the world had never seen before. Again, healing diseases, rescuing folks from satanic attack, reuniting those who had been alienated for year upon year upon year. And everybody wanted to see him. Everybody wanted a piece of the action. Everybody wanted to taste this guy and, and to be a part of his ministry for themselves. And that's true one day in a little town called Capernaum. It'd be like this, hey, hey, man, somebody, somebody told me Jesus. That, that miracle, man, everybody's been talking about. Some are even claiming, claiming he's the Messiah, that Jesus. Guys, rumor has it he's staying just down the street. Rumor has it he's here in town. He's at Fred's house just down the street. So man, put the phone down, call in sick to work, tie up your donkey. I don't care what you got to do, but we got to go see this guy. We got to go see him. This is most likely what a house in the first century uh, looked like. Nothing extravagant or huge by any means, but you could probably pack a lot of people in it. So in this situation, in this story, Jesus is most likely on the lower level there, down by the kitchen, and, and he's teaching people. And, and folks are just filling in, being packed in like sardines into this house. They're all around him on the bottom. They've probably climbed up the stairs. They're on top. They're hanging off the rafters. They're sitting in the doorways. They're even outside the house, it says in Mark chapter 2. This place is packed. And in this moment, everyone's attention turns from Jesus to this group of four guys. And, and, and not because they bring a tough question to Jesus, not because they try to trap or trick Jesus. These four guys stand out in this moment because they want to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Now, we don't know much about this paralyzed guy, and I, I wish we knew more. We don't know his name. We don't know how long he's been paralyzed. 
We don't know what originally caused this condition. If you're anything like me, you want to reach out to Mark and be like, Mark, tell us more, man. Give me some details here. But it does tell us one thing. He says there are so many people packed in this house that these four guys, quote unquote, couldn't bring their friend to Jesus. They couldn't bring their friend to Jesus. That's a power-packed statement on multiple levels. Right? These guys wanted so badly for their friend to see and to be seen by this miracle man, by, by this loving teacher, by this prophet, but they just couldn't make it happen. And this guy's condition combined with the crowds, it just looked and felt like a giant obstacle course, and Jesus is way over there, and there's no chance they're going to get their friend to him. There's just too many hurdles, too many obstacles, too many barriers. A lot of us know that feeling, don't we? Uh, parents who have had children walk away from the Lord, they know this feeling. Children whose parents won't believe in the Lord, they know this feeling. Husbands or wives whose significant other won't make faith or church or God a priority, you know this feeling. You want so desperately for this person to know Jesus. You want them so desperately to experience life and love in and through Christ, but there's just nothing you can do about it. It just seems like the, the obstacle course is too hard. It's too big. There, there's too many things in your way. And at a certain point, it's like, they're just not, we're just not gonna get them to Jesus. It's just not gonna happen. But the story in Mark doesn't end there. And I don't want yours to end there either. Continues, verse four. So they dug a hole through the roof above Jesus' head and they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> now we, we, aren't told, we aren't told how all this plays out, but I have loved all week speculating as to how all of this played out. These four guys, they see the crowds. They see it's going to be impossible to get their paralyzed friend through the door or even close to the door. And just as they shake their heads in disappointment, just as they kind of kick the dirt in frustration, the crazy one of the four, you know him, because we all have a friend like this in our circle of friends, don't we? He says, guys, 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 what about the roof? What about the roof? If you don't have a friend like this, you really need one. This is the guy that's like, dudes, skydiving this weekend, Groupon. <laughs> this is the guy that was like, polar bear plunge, evergreen lake, New Year's Day, we're doing it, I signed us up. <laughs> this is the guy who's like, um, street tacos from that street vendor off Colfax, we gotta go back there. It's like, I don't know. It's the guy who will eat anything, try anything, say, you know this guy? You know this gal? You gotta love him. So what about the roof, he says. The friends immediately enter into this rather heated discussion. God, I don't know, man, what about the cost? And, and, and what, what do you think about, the, you're just crazy. I just think there's just too many questions here. I mean, I've, I've got so many things, I'm not sure it's gonna work out. What, what, what if we get up there? I'm not even sure we can get up there. And let's say we, we, we make it there somehow with, with the four of us and the guy on the mat. What are we gonna do once we get up there? dig a hole camera pans slowly over to the other friend and he's like uh-huh right the logical ones trying to like calculate how this is going to work out the crazy ones like already two steps ahead of everybody else and there are two guys who are like man i don't know 
how is this going to play out? I'm sure there were so many questions, so many worst-case scenarios flying around. What about the repairs that we're going to uh, need to make afterward? What if we hurt somebody else? What if, what if we get hurt? What if we upset the owner of the house? What if we upset Jesus? I mean, what if this doesn't work? What if we make fools of ourselves? You have to imagine this, this internal conversation was just happening. If it was an external conversation, a heated dialogue between these four friends. The roof! I don't know about the roof! That's what I love so much about Jesus. That's what's so beautiful about Jesus. These four guys, somehow, somehow these four guys knew this was true. Because of Christ, we're no longer bound by, limited to, or forced into worst case scenario. Because of Christ, we can actually expect and bank on and plan for best case scenario. You with me? You see the complete flip in minds that is? Because of Jesus, you no longer have to be bound by worst case. Well, this is just gonna, how it's going to be. I just know it. It's going to be bad. Because of Jesus, you are freed to hope for, plan on, even work towards best case scenario. That's who our Jesus is. These guys didn't know much about Jesus. There's no way they did. But they did know this. He's got the power to change our friend's life. And just as important, he's got the loving personality to change our friend's life. You see, you need both. It's a combination of limitless power and a loving personality. You need infinite ability and an interest in you. You need a belief that he's God, but that he's also good. You see that? You need both of those things. And these four men believe that, both, that Jesus was both of those things. And so this week I started thinking like that old Christmas song, up on the rooftop, click. Down came the paralyzed man. Didn't know how to finish it off. Anyway, but maybe the song should be up on the rooftop, click, clank, thud, because they start tearing this roof apart. They start digging a hole in the roof. You gotta love that. And these guys, maybe, maybe they did this before, but, but they prove right now, they didn't weigh the options. They didn't make a list of pros and cons. Uh, they didn't read a book. They didn't have to have a small group discussion about this. They didn't plan a board meeting. They said, there's only one thing to do here, and it's get our friend to Jesus, no matter the cost, no matter the consequence. And if it goes sour, we're blaming the guy whose idea it was originally. But you see, they just said, it, we're not going to weigh the options. We only have one option. Our friend only has one option. It's Jesus. There's no other option. We've got to get him to Jesus. I love that their faith in this moment proved to be infinitely stronger than their fears. And their faith proved to be infinitely stronger than the possibility of failure. You with me now? I want you to hear that. Their faith in this moment proved to be infinitely greater than their fear. And their faith in this moment proved to be infinitely greater than the possibility of failure. We don't care. We're going to Jesus. We don't care. We're getting our friend in front of Christ. Period. And so Jesus commends them for exactly that. After Jesus pulls the twigs and the mud and the dust off of his hair, after he brushes it out of his beard, I imagine, after he puts the owner of the house at ease and help, you know, don't kill him, don't kill him, not, not till I leave. But after all of that mess, it says he looks at the friends, verse 5, and seeing their faith, he says to the man on the mat, son, your sins are forgiven. Don't miss that. Seeing their faith. It was the faith of the four men that caught Jesus' attention. 
It was the fact that these four men would go to such great lengths and such crazy extremes. That's what propelled Jesus into action. It had nothing to do with the heart of the paralyzed man, had nothing to do with the beliefs of the paralyzed man, had nothing to do with the receptivity of the paralyzed man. It came down to the faith of his friends. And Jesus worked in a miraculous way in that moment because four people believed that Jesus could do a great thing for one man. Four friends believed that Jesus could do something incredible for this one man. And what happens next in the story turns out to be this huge point of contention. I'll encourage you to go read it for yourself this week. It's a point of contention it was back then. It's a point of contention even now. Everyone in the room, especially the four guys, I imagine, just dug a hole in the roof. They want Jesus to heal the guy. But what does he say instead? Your sins are forgiven. That was probably a letdown. Can you imagine? Your sins are forgiven. Like, oh, that's nice and all. But really, we had hoped for a little bit more. It'd be as if you're begging for food out on the street one day and somebody comes in and gives you a Bible. It's like, man, a Bible's nice, but I would have loved a sandwich, right? I've got some needs here that I really need to be met first before I'm ever going to be open to or really need or recognize my need for the greater thing. So Jesus' words seem a little bit odd to us, a little bit anticlimactic. Your sins are forgiven. We're like, what? Can't you do a little bit more for this guy, Jesus? But in this moment, Christ is starting to reveal his true identity, starting to reveal his ultimate purpose. Yes, the paralysis of this man's extremities was horrific. But Jesus knew it failed in comparison to the paralysis of this man's spirit, the paralysis of this man's soul. The man most likely, we talked about this last week with the leper, But this paralyzed man most likely was led to believe that his sin is what made him sick. That is not true in the least, but something in that moment was true, something far worse. His sin was going to separate him from the source of love and light and life forever. His sin did not make him sick, but his sin was going to separate him. And Jesus knew that was the real problem in this moment. In this moment, Jesus is hinting at the fact he didn't come to just take away any obstacles you have that make this life hard. He came to take away the one obstacle that was going to stop you from experiencing eternal life. You with me? He didn't come to just remove whatever obstacles are in this life that make life a little bit harder for you. He came to remove the ultimate obstacle, that of sin. And Jesus has proven he already has authority over illness, over disease. That's why the four guys show up in the first place. They know he can heal the man physically. And now Jesus is taking his authority to a whole other level. He is saying, I forgive you of your sins. No one but God can forgive you of your sins. That's why the crowd gets all up in arms in this moment. Wait, you're saying you can do what God can do? You're saying you are God? Camera pans over to Jesus like the crazy guy. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm saying. And Christ's words here must have sounded so sweet to the paralyzed man. Because you see, in saying your sins are forgiven, it's as if Jesus is saying God hasn't given up on you yet. It's as if he's saying God isn't displeased with you or punishing you. It's as if he's saying, God isn't through with you yet. And I will prove this to you, he tells the man and to the whole crowd. Now I say to you, get up and walk out of here. You don't believe me that God loves you. You don't believe me that God's not through with you. You don't believe me that God has a great plan for you for eternal life, not just for this life. I'm going to prove it to you right now. Get up and walk out of here. Not in a bad way, but in a miraculous way. Now here's the thing, friends. 
Outside of Acts chapter 2, I do not think there's a better picture or model of the church than this story right here. This is it. This is what it means to be the church. These four men show us exactly who and what we are to be all about. Bringing hurting, broken, lost, ostracized people into this place and into contact with the Lord, that is priority one, priority two, priority three, I can't count, priority 10, so on and so forth. It should be our only priority. If this story doesn't speak to fervor, passion, creativity, ingenuity, when it comes to our faith, I don't know what does. We as a church and as individual Christians have been called to find ways, unconventional ways, maybe even uncomfortable and costly ways to break through barriers so others can experience a breakthrough. You with me? And I worked all week on that. Someone just like clap or something. We do all we can to help break through barriers on behalf of others so that they can experience a breakthrough for themselves. Does that make sense? That's what this story is all about. Guys, I know, I know your spouse or your kids, your classmates, your business partner, I know your neighbor, I know they just feel like a lost cause. I know you've tried so many things with, with no success. I know they just seem so disinterested, so unresponsive right now. I know the situation looks bleak, but have you tried the roof? Have you gone to the roof yet? Have you said, God, nothing else is working right now? What is this one crazy, unconventional, costly thing that I can do to help introduce this person to Jesus? If the answer is no, if you don't have straw and dust and mud in your fingernails right now, you haven't done enough. Not in a guilty way, but just in a what's possible way. What's being asked of you kind of way. The risks that we take, the lengths that we should go to, church, it should be extreme. It should be extravagant. Don't we sing that about God's love for us? Why aren't we expressing that same love for others? Now, here's the thing. Little tangential thought, but after thinking about it all week, I don't think it's all that tangential. The major risk that we as a church need to take, the major shift that we as a church need to take, the major roof that we need to start digging through as a church, I think comes down to our understanding and acceptance of sin. Man, I don't care all that much about like our programming, the length of our service, style of our music, like whatever. That, that's, not, that's not going through the roof. Going through the roof is, is something so much more intense than that. The, the major change we have to, to make, the major risk we have to take, is when it comes to sin. Our understanding of our own sin and the sin of others. It's not a coincidence that right after the story of the paralytic, we read this. Later, Levi, Matthew, or Mark 2.15. Uh, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. And when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. 
These stories are right next to each other for a reason, in my opinion. Because one of the main obstacles that people face when it comes to getting to God, one of the main obstacles people face when it comes to developing a relationship with the Lord is that sinners need to keep their distance. Sinners need to keep their distance. Sinners need not apply. And the church has not done very well in speaking out against this lie. The lie that God only smiles upon or saves those who don't have much sin in their life. Even this morning, we're working on the PowerPoint, and I have this slide up there because we're wanting to get the, the, the look just right, and we forgot that we had it up there. So we're working on some other things. I know it's hard to imagine. It's a 35-foot screen, but we forgot it was up there. People start coming into the sanctuary, and I look down, and I'm like, that's the sign they're seeing as they come in the doors. Change the slide, Georgia, change it. But isn't that true? Isn't that sign actually up in a lot of churches? Isn't that the thing you, you see or hear first when you walk into church in a lot, of, a lot of places? You need not be here if your life is a wreck. Figure it out first, then come back. I can't tell you how many people I've ministered to over the years who've been told by a pastor or somebody in the church, that their stuff, their sin, their baggage, their mistakes, their lifestyle, their skeletons, it, they have ruined any and every chance they ever have or ever will have at developing a relationship with the Lord or being a part of his work in this world. I cannot tell you how many people have heard that. From addicts to teen moms to porn stars, those struggling with sexual identity issues, to those who've had an abortion, to those who've been through multiple marriages, to those who can't get, get past certain struggles or addictions, far too many people have been told by those in the church that their sin is somehow sadder or sicker or more sinister than anybody else's. And you just best stay away from here. Are you flipping kidding me right now are you serious the fact that jesus accepts welcomes embraces invites hangs out with and dines with sinners should come as great news to all of us because that's exactly what all of us are he dines with us Jesus is trying to tell those self-righteous Pharisees the sickest people in that room are the ones who think they're healthy. That's who's really sick right now. You think you've got it all figured out? You think you're so good? You think you're so righteous? You think you're so holy? You are so sick, Jesus says. Whoa. Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, said it this way, it's easier to save us from our sin than it is to save us from our righteousness. Newsflash, you're not that good. Newsflash, you're not that perfect. Newsflash, you're not that holy. Newsflash, you don't got it all together. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how many times you've been to church. I don't care, I don't care anything. Sin still runs deep in our bones. The fact that we don't think so, according to James, Jesus' brother, that's a sin. Would you just figure it out? I read a quote this week. Would you just figure, or I'm sorry, would you just give up, this quote said, trying to look and sound like a saint? Because we all know you're not. And it's going to be a lot easier on everybody when you admit it.
Would you just give up trying to look and sound like a saint? Because we all know you're not. And it's going to be a lot easier on everybody when you admit it. How is it? How is it, church, that the man who had no sin, Jesus, was a magnet for those whose lives were ravaged by it? How is that possible? Could it be that Jesus really meant what he said? I love really really sick people. I just love them. Church, we got to come to terms with the fact that we are ragamuffins. That we don't have things all figured out. we got to come to terms with the fact with our brokenness and our, and, and our faults and our shortcomings and our propensity to sin. Jesus says, it's okay. In fact, it's necessary for you to stand up in the meeting and say, hi, I'm Thomas and I'm a wretched sinner. Was and still am. This was driven home to me. This just Even this morning, I was thinking about this story. Several months ago, we're making these huge transitions here at the church. We're trying to combine worship services, and I'm getting it from both sides. Right? Everybody's just mad at me for one reason or another, it felt like. And I'm trying to say, okay, Lord, what's the plan here? What's the purpose? I'm just spending so much time in prayer, and I'm trying to figure out, Lord, what's best for this place, and what are you calling us to? So I stand up here in the pulpit a few days, and I announce these changes, and it's this big moment. It's like this climactic moment for me. And guess what? The morning where I let all this stuff out for you guys my fly was down. Like I walked down all confident, like, yeah, Lord, I think I heard your voice and things were great. Right now I'm like exaggerating. I don't really walk like that. But, and someone was like, your, your fly was down, bro. It's like this huge spiritual mountaintop experience. This is so important. Oh, nuts. You sinners, sinners. There was either going to be dead silence or a lot of laughter. And boy, am I glad there's a lot of laughter. Dang, I'm like red and sweating now. Okay. But isn't that true in all of our life, right? And that's just been the analogy and the imagery on my heart the last couple of weeks. It's like, Lord, I think I've got it all figured out. And then I've just got a problem still. I've got some imperfection, but it's okay. It's okay. I'm not sure if this analogy works anymore now, but it's okay if your fly's down spiritually, right? Don't, don't tweet that. I don't want anybody else to know. But it's okay. It's okay if you got some problems still. Not only is it okay, like we all know it. And it's really beautiful when you admit to it. And it's really powerful when you say, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not as good as you might think. Let me break this down for you real fast and we'll be done. If you're a hypothetical sinner, then God's grace is going to remain hypothetical to you as well. Oh, yes, oh, yes, I know the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No, no, I, w- I want you to tell me, I want you to tell me your sin. I want you to tell me how you've fallen short. I want you to tell me how you're still falling short right now. Don't keep it theoretical, because then God's grace will remain theoretical to you. Get specific. Own it. Be okay with it. The moment that I say I'm a materialistic, proud, restless, undisciplined, impure man, when I admit that to you, somehow the good doctor comes and makes me well. But only when I admit it. Act like I have it all together, and it's clear I've missed the point all together. 
act like I have it all together and it's clear that I've missed the point all together. One of the greatest gifts we can give to ourselves, to each other, to God, and to this unbelieving community is our candidness about how corrupt we are. You with me? That's the greatest gift. A best friend of mine at Pepperdine told me one time, the greatest thing you can give somebody is your baggage, is your stuff. If you don't really like somebody, you fake your stuff with them, right? You act like you don't have any stuff. But when you really care about somebody, you're like, Bleh. Jody, right? Sorry, inside Jody. Anyway, yeah. Every time I throw up, I don't think of Jody. I just, sorry. Just. <laughs> this thing, I got to get this thing back on the tracks, yo. People will call and ask, though, hey, pastor, do you accept this or that type of person in your church? I actually try to stop them before they finish the sentence because I, I almost always know where, where, it's, where it's going. And I say, ma'am, we accept sinners of all shapes and sizes around here. And if you can find one type that we don't have yet, we would love for your help in remedying that problem. <laughs> Let me get really real just for a second. When Char talks about, this is our children's ministry, when she talks about her struggle being a promiscuous single mom working in the bars, when she shares that with others, when Ryan, our minister of congregational care, shares with you stories of going through a horrific and ugly divorce, when I share with you my struggle of a dream job turning into a nightmare and, and wrestling with depression and angst for years, when we share all that with you, we're ministering to you in a way that no perfect little sermon or lesson or counseling session ever will, right? We're giving you our brokenness. And yet Jesus somehow meets us in that moment it's like, oh, I'm so pleased right now. I'm so present right now in all of this. Guys, there are enough obstacles out there when it comes to knowing God, aren't there? We don't need to add any more. So let me invite the band back up, and we're going to spend just a minute or two. I know it's getting a little late, but we're just going to spend just a minute to, uh, in prayer together. I don't want us to be a church or a community that ever puts more obstacles in front of people. I want us to be a church that removes the obstacles. I want us to be a church that goes through the roof to remove the obstacles. I want us to be a church, especially when it comes to sin, that says, that's not a problem here. <laughs> Your problem's not a problem here, man. I want us to go through the roof for this community. So what I'm going to ask you to do is just for about two minutes, I'm just going to ask you to pray with those around you. If it's a stranger, grab their hand. If it's someone you know, grab their leg. And just pray with them, okay? Just pray whatever the Lord has put on your heart right now in this moment. Uh, pray for your own stuff. Pray for the barriers that other people have been experiencing. Pray for someone in your life that's walking through a religious obstacle course right now. Just pray. Just pray about this message and sin and our response to it, our openness about it. Let's just, let's just be real right now. Let me pray for us and we'll just take two minutes to do that together. God, we give you the next few moments and we say thank you. Thank you for being a God who accepts us in our wretched condition for being a God who takes us in when we're so broken and so ravaged by sin. We, we pray now for our own hearts and for those hearts who are so far from you, Lord. May sin and brokenness never be a barrier to coming to know you. Hear our prayer and our cries now.